Getting a little carried away with the intro, probably going to have to fade that one in so I don't take up too much time, but uh, welcome back, bass players and musicians of the world at large. I'm Wyatt Walker Ware, and you're listening to episode 12 of the Better Bass Podcast. Got this awesome drum loop, this cool uh, Eric Harland drum sample loop going here, because today we're talking about grooves, talking about developing pocket, talking about collaborative time, ways to bring it in the practice room, all that good stuff, getting uh, getting to doing our job as bass players, right? I spend so much time. I spend so much time soloing, so much time playing up the uh, up the old dusty end of the neck, as the the boomer bassists say. That uh, getting back to the roots a little bit here, so let's dive right in. First necessary thing to good time playing with a drummer, playing without a drummer, any context, anything as a bass player especially is consistency. Developing consistency in your time, and what consistency requires is confidence. You have to go into it and be able to say, okay, this is where my subdivision is. In maybe a little bit of a selfish way, even musically, this is where my subdivision is, this is where my quarter note is, this is where it's going to be, and this is how I'm going to convey this to the rest of the band and convey this to the audience. A groove does not have to happen with the bassist perfectly synchronized with the drummer all the time, and I've got a I've got an example later to uh, to go in a little more depth about that. But the number one most important thing to get your groove together is to be consistent and to play the subdivisions in the same spot over and over and over again, and make somebody want to dance to it. That's the point of this whole thing, right? And for me, in my musical journey, and what I see from other bass players and from students of mine is that the key to consistency, the key to consistent execution is to be relaxed. If you're holding tension in your body somewhere, that means you're holding tension in your head somewhere and your mind's probably on something other than figuring out where the beat is and keeping the beat in the same place. That's been a major theme of my practicing lately, too, is just trying to stay relaxed in order to stay in the pocket, in order to stay together with the drummer. I've been noticing, well, back up for a second, I've moved from recording all of my gigs and recording, trying to at least record every show that I play, I've moved that process from audio only to also taking video. And I'm just using my cell phone instead of using my voice memos. I'm just using the camera, and I have a little tiny kind of janky selfie stick tripod thing that I can kind of sneak in anywhere, back of the stage, off to the side, wherever. And I've been taking video, and what I'm noticing nowadays is in the moments where I hear my pocket slip, I hear my groove slip out a little bit, and I kind of lose the drummer... I kind of lose the beat for a second. I'm almost always very tensed up in my body. And I've got my shoulders scrunched up and I've got a weird look on my face or something and I'm moving around way too much and my back's very tight. It's not a good look. And for me, it doesn't serve solid groove and it doesn't serve good time. So in my practice... I've been really, really overcompensating on staying relaxed. I've been spending time focusing on that really hard and taking the uh, the Kenny Werner approach. I've mentioned Kenny before on this podcast, that the effortless mastery approach, where 
I've watched Kenny sit with a student of his, and he will make them completely stop what they're doing and start over, oftentimes, like, get up from the piano, go to the other room, come back, sit back down, as soon as he notices an ounce of tension in that student's body. And I think that's a little extreme, but I've been doing something similar for myself where I just stop playing, stop whatever I'm playing along to a metronome, a drum loop, if that's what I'm doing. As soon as I start feeling tension building up in my body, I just say, no, stop, mental reset, go into this with a relaxed mind. And it's it's already starting to get better practice habits going for me. I'm not sure if it's really made its way into performance yet. It probably has in some subtle way that I'm not uh, not quite perceiving yet. But I can tell over time this is going to be really, really valuable. What I'm not doing, though, and what, what's, what's kind of what's kinda crippled me doing stuff like this in the past is really obsessing over it. I've done this with technique. I used to do this with technique on saxophone where... I would spend my entire practice routine trying to practice other things other than just fundamentals and trying to practice improvisation and trying to learn songs and do all this, but I still had it in mind for my entire hour or two-hour practice session that, no, every time this tension builds up in this part of my left hand, I'm going to stop. And that resulted in a lot of frustration because these things don't happen overnight and you're not going to develop a perfect habit on this, maybe ever, honestly. I'm not sure that I will ever be a beautifully relaxed performer all of the time. I think just by the nature of improvising and the, the kind of music that I play being heavily improvised most of the time, there's going to be thinking happening, and there will be some tension. I don't think I will ever perfect that, probably. Now, there are there are certainly people who have. Kenny Werner has. I don't see myself going to that point. But that doesn't mean I can't spend some time in my practice routine, take some time out of it to move in that direction, and then spend the remainder of my time, the time where I'm focusing on learning music, learning songs, doing that kind of thing, letting go of that a little bit and just allowing myself to play. And it's made that part of my practice feel a lot better. Besides just the relaxation aspect, in order to have good groove, you have to be playing with your ears open all the time. And that means that your primary focus has to be on what's happening around you and the the sensory input coming in from your ears, from other musicians, and not just from yourself. Listening to yourself is important. Listening to yourself is great. However, you have to have that confidence that I mentioned earlier to know that how you're going to execute something, the way that you're going to play something on your instrument is going to sound a certain way, and you don't have to worry about how it sounds so that you can put your mental stack on listening to and locking in with the drums and listening to and locking in with the rest of the band. That's really, really important. And unfortunately, the best way to develop this is by spending time on stage and spending time performing. This is very much a performance skill and not as much a practice room skill. But there are still things we can do to isolate this. And it's very psychological. It's very much about being mindful of listening to the the uh, listening to the band versus listening to yourself. 
I like to do this with drum loops. I like to do this with recordings. Something that I I I got into kind of by accident. I had a uh, I had a gig last summer where uh, it was the first wedding gig I had ever played on bass. It was the first like suited up cover gig that I had ever done. And it was a four and a half hour set with one break in the middle. I got sent a list of songs to learn most of them with awful, awful charts or none at all. 95 songs long and I knew already about 20 of them. So I had about a week to learn 75 of these tunes. And what I ended up doing was just making a playlist, making a Spotify playlist and going through the whole thing front to back and just playing every song through. And I'm at a point where I've played a lot of pop music in my in my performing career, particularly as a, as a saxophone player, as a horn player, but I've played some on piano also. I'm at a point with those kinds of songs where I can pretty much learn the tune and know it most of the way once I've heard kind of one verse and one chorus. I can get through it that way. Obviously, there's specific stuff, and some of it's some of it's challenging naturally. But that's kind of where I'm at ears-wise. So I made this playlist and I just ran it front to back. I spent four hours running it front to back. And you know what? It felt like I just played a show. It felt like I just played an entire gig. And I was listening to the music, focusing on learning the music, obviously, but by the, the fourth or fifth repetition of that, it was it was I knew how to play the songs and I was just listening to the band and focusing on getting it as locked in as possible. And it felt great. It felt like playing a show and the the way that my chops felt after, after playing like that for a while, it was kind of a, a, a simulated performance environment, I guess, if I wanted to, to buzzword it. So that can be a really useful tool. And I've done that a couple of times with even just like a list, uh, a list of like jazz standards I know and I put on a whole bunch of different versions of them, and I just perform them along with recordings, back to back to back. Or I get a bunch of drum loops together, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to play to each of these for five minutes, and I'm just going to improvise. I'm going to be confident. I'm not going to listen to myself too much, and I'm going to focus on keeping it as locked in as possible. That's another approach, and creating these these simulated set lists is a great way that I've been able to... Uh, bring the uh, bring the performance aspect into the practice room lately. So consistency, consistent time, relaxation, deep active listening, a few tenets out of many. I could go on about this for hours, but I'm not trying to I'm not trying to drag this episode on too long. Those are a few good tenets of of practicing to develop better groove and better sense of pocket. So I'm going to present to you my hot take for the the episode, why it's hot take for episode 12. And that is that good groove does not require intense repetition of the same idea over and over, especially on part of the bass player, but on the part of the drummer too, and we'll get to that. But I do not think that playing the exact same idea over and over, or even playing the exact same rhythmic pattern over and over, is necessary to create a great groove, and to create a a groove that makes people want to move, as it were. Now, there's nothing wrong with the R&B approach to, to playing bass. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact, I've spent tons of time transcribing and learning lines from bass players like, uh, like Pino, 
And what's the what's the track off Voodoo? I'm thinking of he plays the same lick over and over. That's probably in the wrong key and or wrong tempo. That's one of the one of the tracks off the D'Angelo album, Voodoo. Pino Palladino plays that same lick probably 400 times and never moves, and it is some deep just some incredibly deep pocket as we all know it's a classic record and it's it's known for that Questlove is obviously equal in part of that oh yeah tangent Questlove tangent that I, w that I was actually wanting to go on this episode that is a really really fine example of a musician with incredible consistency of time an incredible consistency of sound and relaxation and confidence quest love is the embodiment of all that you want to see that in action listen to some quest watch some videos of quest i watched uh i watched a youtube video that was uh it was like a, a Times square performance or something like that john mayer and alicia keys were doing a duet and quest love was playing drums and just Quest's pocket, even playing on a stage that big, just his poise and his ultimate confidence in his playing and the the deep groove that results from that is 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 mind-blowing. Anyways, back to the topic at hand. I don't think that that kind of uh, nauseating repetition is necessary to create a great groove, and I think that some bassists and some musicians lean on it as a crutch. And what it means is that when they do start improvising and when they do move outside some very, very specific repeating thing, the pocket suffers. So I think it's really important to practice improvisation and to practice moving lots of ideas around and not repeating as much with a focus on time and with a focus on pocket. And I'm just going to do this. I'm going to try to create... I'm going to try to create some kind of a good groove with this the same drum loop I was playing in the intro here. Let's see. I'm going to let it roll through once. I'm going to play over a long set of chord changes, a long form, just to give myself some reason to move. idea everything i'm playing i'm gonna i'm gonna listen back to it obviously but uh, i i hope was pretty well in time and pretty well on uh, pretty well attuned to the drummer's subdivision there to eric harlan's subdivision and it creates a groove and i was playing more there i was playing a lot more notes there than i probably would in an actual performance accompanying somebody that playing like that is probably a good way to get uh get fired from the gig or at least get yelled at by your band leader to, to shut the hell up. But this is a practice session. I'm just playing along to myself and a drummer. I have no other point of reference. I have nothing else to listen to, so I'm going to be outlining the harmony myself a lot more. I'm going to be outlining uh, something melodic myself, creating something. And besides that, 
It's useful to practice overplaying sometimes, and it's useful to push your limits a little bit. And I'm pushing my limits in a way that I'm making sure that I can stay really on the subdivision and really synchronized with the drums that I'm listening to as I'm playing through this. Not necessarily like pushing the limits of my chops or pushing my technical limits on the instrument or anything like that, but I'm pushing the limits of my ears and I'm pushing the limits of my, my brain and how good of a continuous train of thought, a continuous improvisatory train of thought I can keep going without the, the quality of ideas suffering and the, the, the bullshit starting to come out. And I know I said earlier I was only going to have a hot take once this podcast, but I've got, a, I've got another one for you. Hot take number two is that in a good groove, the bass player and the drummer don't have to be perfectly together all the time. So I'm going to contextualize this a little bit here. I've got my second drum loop for the podcast queued up. This is also Eric Harland from uh, Yurt Rock Loops. I don't know if I mentioned where I got these, but it's a really, really good source for really good source for drum tracks. I'm pretty sure they got other loops going on too. It's run by the guy who used to own uh, the Loop Loft, I believe. Really great stuff, really cool loop packs. Anyways, not a, not a sponsor, not a paid message. I just really like these, these drum sounds. This is like a floaty, turn the volume down a little bit. This is like a floaty modern jazz ECM type thing. And I chose this because Eric moves the subdivision around a bunch here. At the beginning of this loop, it's almost swung a little bit, and then these last two, those boom, crack, boom, crack at the end, it's like the upbeats are rushed. And I'm, I'm looking at the waveform as I'm listening to this, and I can see the distance between the transient peaks changes a little bit as you move from the beginning of the loop to the end. Not that that matters, but it certainly comes through in the sound. And when a drummer starts playing like this, I change my role a little bit. I don't always do this consciously necessarily, but I think it's a, a, way, a thing that serves the music well. I start to drive the bus with the subdivision a little bit more. That doesn't mean I'm just going to play quarter notes and half notes all the time. Ab absolutely not, especially playing over a groove like this. I'm going to float it, and I'm going to play varied rhythmic patterns and lots of long notes and things, but I'm probably going to start tapping my foot. I'm probably going to start keeping time with my body so that my subdivision stays really, really consistent to support the soloist. Not all the time, and I'll get to that, but I'm going to play like this for a second, see if I can, see if I can demonstrate this well off the top of my head. I'm going to let this loop go by one more time. So, I'm doing my best here to, while staying in time with the drums, 
and keeping the quarter note in generally the same place and keeping the downbeats of the bars together, I'm trying to really drive the subdivision home with the way that I play and play a really straight, really steady, rock-solid eighth note to support whatever the whatever the soloist is 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 doing right whoever i'm accompanying i want to be as supportive of that as possible there are certain soloists who will say hey screw that float it as much as you want we can keep the time collaboratively i'm not worried about keeping the subdivision in which case i'll say okay great and i'll just i'll just float it i'll start playing a little more to the tune of let's see let the loop come around I got a little straight with the eighths at the end, but overall I was kind of pulling back a little bit more, trying to lean into the drums a little bit more. This is super subtle stuff, and I hope this is coming across on the podcast. And even if I listen back to it and it's really not, I'm going to put it out anyways, because this is this is part of my process, and this is part of how I'm learning to teach this stuff, along with uh, along with trying to teach you all and trying to help out all the all the bass players listening here. I'm trying to articulate these concepts for myself, and this is a way for me to get my uh, my thoughts out on paper, quote-unquote, on the, the digital paper that is an audio waveform anyways. This is a way for me to really refine my own concepts. So that's, that's what's happening here. I'm learning right along with you. Tangent aside, I think these couple of examples are a really cursory... Uh, really cursory rundown on the relationship between a bassist and a drummer in an, in in context of improvised music not just in context of playing a groove but a little more specific to you know the the lane that i find myself in which is having a vague framework of a song and mostly making stuff up to go along with it and rhythm sections can almost be uh, it, it can almost be i want to call it rhythm section politics i i kind of want to name an album that now but uh, everyone has different preferences, and everyone, every rhythm section player thinks differently about these things. I'm generally not the kind of bass player who will play only quarter and half notes, just because that's not the way that I hear music generally. That's not the way that I hear music when I'm improvising, and I have a, I have a very content-dense way of speaking, as I'm sure you're aware if you're listening to this podcast, and I also have a pretty content-dense way of uh, playing the bass and of hearing music. But if that is what is requested of me, and if that's what the, the musical situation calls for, obviously if I'm playing a gig where I'm not improvising or we're playing covers or whatever, then yeah, I'm going to play the bass line to the song. But if it is an improvised gig and I'm requested to play very minimally by somebody else in the band, then yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm a bass player. We're the, we're the foundation of the, the harmony and we're the foundation of the sound of the band. And I'm going to do my job as a bassist, first and foremost. I'm not going to not repeat things just for the sake of not repeating them. I'll do that in the practice room. I'm not going to do that on stage. When I'm actually performing, when I'm actually improvising in a real musical context, I'm going to do whatever serves the music best, and usually that is more repetition than not. But if you can create a great groove that doesn't repeat a ton, and if you can really drive the subdivision by yourself, 
when you're driving the subdivision along with a drummer and when you're playing something that repeats, your pocket is going to be that much deeper and that much tighter. So that's why I think all this stuff is useful. That's all I've got for you today. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you head on over to betterbase.substack.com and subscribe to the mailing list. That's the home of the podcast. That's the home of the discussion. Get your email on the list. You'll never miss an episode. You'll have them delivered straight to your inbox every time one comes out. I've been getting on an upload schedule here for the time being. I'm rocking episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm hoping I can keep this pace up for uh, for a real long time, keep putting this out there. If you're listening on a streaming service, if you're on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you can leave a rating, please do leave me some stars. Really helps out, really helps to grow this thing and to, uh, to keep putting this out as often as I have been. So till next time, let's all be better bass players together, and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you.